A child is abandoned by a parent. A natural disaster rips apart a family home. These two instances are both unfortunate and something we may see on the news or mimicked on television or even know someone who has experienced such things. But what is not apparent is the trauma that that child and that family possibly dealt with for years thereafter. Today on the CFE playlist for Walden U's My Faculty podcast, we are talking about just that with one of Walden's faculty members' own experiences with trauma and research on the topic. Dr. Pettis Perry is a faculty member in Walden's College of Management and Technology. Dr. Perry is a trauma survivor, and in response to a significant number of students, colleagues, and friends expressing experiencing significant traumatic events, he created a platform to address trauma, post-traumatic growth, and creating a meaningful life as a vehicle for healing, education, and partial inoculation against the most consuming after effects of seismic traumatic events. Please be aware that Dr. Perry is not a clinician and is simply sharing his experiences and research on trauma. Now let's turn to the interview. You talk about how uh, on the surface where we're very professional, we're living our lives and we're, you know, a part of committees and doing our thing. But then there's, you know, trauma survivor, which we don't put on our resumes, but it's part of our makeup and it's part of how we work and what we do. So um, jumping into our first uh, question is what specifically happened in your life? that began your trauma-related research? Um, well, actually having the, the trauma itself and then trying to work my way out of the trauma, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of stumbled through my own process. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happened was that I had my dissertation and luckily a lot of my work was around human development topics. Okay. So I was delving into things like psychology and some of the other the other uh, areas and scratching the surface with trying to understand myself uh, better. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that happened is I was blessed to teach a course at another university titled Creating a Meaningful Life. Mm -hmm. And as I was working with students around looking at their own lives, I was seeing students who began crying in class Uh, and struggling with their own trauma. Mm. So I would take those students and actually walk the ones that were willing over to the counseling center so that they could get some help. But I realized that this discussion was well beyond me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later on, I ended up with uh, working at an institution where the one of the topics was transformative learning. Uh, I was kind of guided there by a faculty member where I was working and started looking at what happens around transformation and what we need to do mm-hmm. as people to continue to evolve uh, so that we can move towards a better self. I found that 
some of the research that I was getting into was building on Paolo Freire's work. Uh, Paolo Freire was a Brazilian educator and he coined the term conscientization, which mm. is the process for how people be conscious, become conscious of needing to change. Mm -hmm. His work was looking at why it was some people in the, the favelas or favelas were, um, were able to evolve and become really powerful, dynamic human, human beings and better their condition while other people got stuck. Uh, that led me uh, from my earlier research, looking at uh, Mesereau and Boyd, who looked at uh, transformational or transformative learning. Uh, mm -hmm. One thought that it was a cognitive process, the other thought that it was an affective process. And so I began to shape this, this idea that people can better their condition by intentional work. Mm -hmm. And then most recently at Walden, encountering students who were telling me about their own trauma. And the, the one student this year that really triggered me was a student that said, Dr. Perry, I'm having some really difficult times. My brother was shot in the face last night five times. Wow. And that triggered my own experience of witnessing, witnessing my neighbor being shot to death right in front of my eyes wow. um, because he was going to be a, a witness against a, a, a drug lord uh, in the Bay Area where I was living. Uh, and I think about him often, uh, that my student uh, from this term uh, was not the first student to tell me about losing a loved one. I had six other students over the time that I've been at Walden uh, who have also told me about losing loved ones to, uh, to violence, to uh, gun violence. And we happen to have a colleague in my college this year who lost a family member in the El Paso shootings. Hmm. Um, so those things really played heavily on my mind. And then as I continued through the year, I was watching what was happening to immigrants and the intentional harm that was being publicly boasted about mm -hmm. to try to stop in immigrants. And all I could think about was the pain that we were creating and after the El Paso and, and Ohio shootings, you mm -hmm. saw the impact of the kind of trauma that we're beginning to uh, see emerge in the U.S. as the result of the mass shootings. You may recall on the news, a car backfiring in New York and people on the streets starting to stampede uh, to get away from the what they thought was actually uh, people, someone shooting. So as I've watched all this, uh, I began to see a need to begin to talk about this in a more open context. So I started uh, in some meetings and I was uh, talking to some colleagues. And one of the things that came up is that there was fear in the organization and it was present preventing us from actually talking openly with each other about things that might be bothering us. Uh, that led to a conversation with a colleague 
about everything that I was experiencing. And she said, oh, you're, you're talking about post-traumatic growth, which is the idea that people can actually grow through their trauma uh, and become better, more whole uh, people by working through it. And once she told me, gave me that term, it opened up uh, a search for post-traumatic growth, which then led me kind of like Alice in Wonderland uh, mm -hmm. through the rabbit hole, sure. looking at trauma from a more holistic, uh, more comprehensive perspective. Okay. Uh, that then led to the idea of creating a webinar that we could produce or I could produce with the help of others to, uh, to pr try to bring these topics uh, into the light. Um, and again, it was, it was kind of a circular process mm -hmm. in which I kept thinking about my own trauma and yeah. the struggles that I had. And I wanted to try to find ways to make it easier for other people to work on their trauma, but also to hopefully engage the community in recognizing that many of us are hurting. Right. And that m one of my goals uh, in my life mission is to try to create kinder, gentler work environments and kinder, gentler societies. So this kind of became the uh, my call to action, if you will. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's the ultimate goal for most people is to um, live in a society where everyone isn't as heavy. Um, and that's rare to find someone who is, and it does take consistent self-work for that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about some of these things and any kind of self-help things that I may do, I'm always looking for the applicability. What is it that I can start doing tomorrow? Or what is it that I can start doing immediately to kind of, kind of curve some of these things or heal some of these areas? Um, so within your research and within your own healing through the trauma, what did you find to be some of those um, maybe key items or applicable items that could be done for people? Well, um, there are lots of ways to approach trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, some would include uh, therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not a bad word. That's a way for people to uh, talk about their trauma and to begin to bring it out in the open, yeah. ensuring that you have a solid group of friends uh, and family members that can work with you if you're, you know, the kind of person that, that has that in your life. I recognize that that's not always uh, possible. Mm -hmm. um, taking the idea that you are responsible for creating the kind of life that you want mm -hmm. and trying to get to the point where you can accept what's happened to you. Mm -hmm. Not that you can change it, right. but that you accept it and you understand that what you've gone through does not define you as a person. You get to define who you're going to be. And if you can get to the point where you can begin to see the, the traumatic event as an opportunity to reshape who you are as an individual and to grow and improve, mm -hmm. then I think you've got the basis for moving towards what's described in the literature as post-traumatic growth. Mm 
So we have the capacity. The question is whether or not we're going to get stuck mm -hmm. in the trauma itself mm -hmm. or whether, whether we will recognize the trauma, you know, work our way through the trauma, recognize that it's, it, it's not something that can be changed, accepting it and then moving on. That's absolutely critical. I see people around me who are stuck in their trauma. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do is to encourage people to, to work through it. It's difficult. It's, it's not something that's easy, but there are people around you or that you can find that will lend an empathetic ear and can help you find tools mm -hmm. to move beyond the trauma itself. And one of the things that I learned in my own experience is that until you address the trauma, it will continue to raise its head and interfere with what otherwise might become a healthier, more happy, more productive um, way of being. So we have to work through it. We have to get the courage and do the crying or the mm -hmm. you know, work through the anger, work through the, the process of grief mm -hmm. and get to the other side. And hopefully knowing that there is a process, uh, trying to see what other people are doing will give people some tools to move through their trauma mm -hmm. and get to the other side towards post-traumatic growth. And then hopefully creating a more meaningful life for themselves Right. Uh, which will then impact other people around them. In your research, was there ever a time or did it come up at all that people didn't recognize that what they went through was actually a traumatic event and they kind of looked at it as just a life event, um, but couldn't equate it to, to that thing that constantly came up and negatively affected them? Is there any insight that you have on that? Yes. Interestingly, two people can have the same experience and one person see it as a major significant traumatic event or what we call a seismic event. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other person may not. Mm -hmm. If you think about the one of the most extreme circumstances, mm -hmm. uh, people in combat, it's interesting that maybe a third, and it depends on which war era you're looking at, but let's say a third of troops may experience the uh, post-traumatic uh, stress uh, symptoms. Mm -hmm. Well, that's two thirds that don't. Mm -hmm. And so the military is beginning to look at what are the, the pre-psychological characteristics that might cause someone to not have a traumatic experience while another one might. Uh, as I looked at my early research, I came across an article about uh, POWs during the Korean War. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was discovered was that for those soldiers who had been exposed to the communist doctrine, mm -hmm. they fared better than those who had not. Mm -hmm. And so they began to see the training, the pre-training as a form of inoculation against uh, being turned uh, as a POW. Mm -hmm. 
as I've looked at this, the research talks about the, the pre-psychological state of the individual. Mm-hmm. So uh, some adversity in childhood can actually make it easier for someone to encounter adversity later on in life mm. and have a better chance of being resilient than someone who may not have had adversity adversity uh, during right. that same period as they mature into adulthood. Mm. So I've become a, a firm believer that we need to really talk about trauma and give people the tools. I believe that it should really be built in to curricula mm. in schools so that people understand what trauma is about. Mm. That would create a more informed, uh, trauma-informed community, and it would also begin to reshape the norm in society about trauma so mm. that people might become more compassionate when someone they know is suffering. And the, the extent to which trauma does exist in society uh, is the extent uh, to the point where we know that almost everyone has either experienced trauma themselves or knows someone who has. Right. So if we can help to develop emotional intelligence in, in our curricula, uh, if we can talk about trauma openly, not just in nursing or psychology right. uh, or counseling, right. but you know, talk about toxic leadership. More than half of people report that they've had a traumatic event at work. Uh, I was looking at some research last night, and there have been uh, more than 18,000 work-related traumatic events just this year. Wow. And if you look at, you know, the number of people that are attempting suicide, there's something like 1.4 million people have attempted suicide with some 47,000 actually committing suicide. And one of the the things that I'm interested in, in trying to learn more about is that when you look at the number of people that are committing suicide, mm-hmm. nearly 70% of them are white males. So Trauma knows no, you know, it knows no color, it knows no gender, but it seems to me that there may be something going on. For example, I'm wondering whether it might be tied to the idea of white privilege. If you look at, if you look at, take a step back and you look at how people of color have to approach life versus how uh, uh, whites, particularly white males, approach life is we live in a in a world that is filled with uncertainty right. about whether or not we are going to be given opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you look at the psychology that I'm seeing, you're seeing that white males are taught to expect to succeed. So is there something in that experience that may be elevating uh, this higher level of suicide. Uh, so there, there are things I think that we can look at as researchers to try to understand why are we having such difficulties? You know, why, why do we have so many mass shootings? Mm-hmm. Why do we have so much gun violence? We're unlike any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. And we can't blame it on video games because video games exist everywhere. 
So what is it about our culture? What is it about how we raise our children that is causing such high rates of violence and levels of suicide? That's so interesting um, to kind of connect those two. It makes sense to me um, because when we think about different cultures experiencing various setbacks, like you said, kind of anticipating that versus not anticipating that and the path being easily laid out. And then you realize that it's not that easy. Um, it's almost, it almost makes me think of um, our, just our ability to persevere through not trauma specifically, but just tough times. I listened to a motivational video this morning that said, you know, tough times don't last, but you will, you'll last through that tough time. And I think that is, is similar, kind of a, a small instance of it, but similar to the differences of mindsets in regard to trauma and relating to that that high percentage of suicidal rates um, in white males. I'm still uh, fairly new in this uh, domain. It's only been a few months, but I'm blown away by the just the data. Let me give you a couple of other statistics. Sure. Uh, 47% of persons ages 1 to 46 have had a major physical trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's the number one cause of death for that age group. Mm -hmm. So when you have a major physical trauma, you also, uh, it, it generally accompanies uh, or is accompanied by psychological trauma. 60% of adults say that they had a significant traumatic e event as a child. Mm -hmm. um, and you can just go on and on with the data. And if you, if you begin to parse things out mm -hmm. and you start looking at uh, mass shooters, they're finding that uh, the majority of mass shooters have had a significant traumatic event. Mm -hmm. And then there are other characteristics in terms of, you know, some gripe or beef against uh, company feeling as though that, they, you know, that they've been marginalized. Uh, and so they're kind of given this impetus to go out and to do harm. Mm -hmm. uh, and then some of that obviously is prompted by what we're seeing in the, in the social media, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's being posted on sites uh, or for terrorism, for example, uh, or uh, white nationalism. But I'd also, I want to kind of get back to the, your, your statement about culture. Mm -hmm. When you look at it from a macro level, mm -hmm. culture dictates behavior. Mm -hmm. So how we're raised is going to impact how we behave. The same thing is true in organizations, right? So the, the culture that we live in and we help create uh, helps to foster the kinds of behaviors that we're going to see, whether it's in an organization or a larger society. Right. And the research is now also talking about multi-generational trauma. Mm. So if you, if you think about multi-generational trauma, what we're talking about here is how we, we transmit uh, our culture and our, our ancestors' experiences down through the generations. Mm -hmm. And there are two things about this. And we talk about nature or nurture. Mm -hmm. The nurture uh, portion of that, I believe, and I'm reading a book on slavery and 
uh, its, uh, its impact on post-traumatic uh, syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, 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 if you look at uh, Holocaust survivors or, or any Native Americans who have ancestors who went through the Trail of Tears, mm -hmm. uh, what happens is our ancestors pass their stories down. Mm -hmm. Right. So the stories we learn as we're growing up in our families begins to shape how we think and feel about right and wrong in, in one case. That makes right. Sense. Just think of the outcome for people who have slave stories mm -hmm. uh, where you know that ancestors were beaten and were considered chattel property. And we're still living that, you know, we had a hundred years of Jim Crow mm -hmm. and we see ourselves now uh, reverting back to rights being taken away. Mm -hmm. So there's this constant threat on the nurture side that shapes the, our mental models and how we see the world. Mm -hmm. Well, the microbiologists, interestingly enough, are exploring what they call epigenetic transgenerational inheritance. And what they're finding is that our DNA is actually being modified from generation to generation based on the experiences that our ancestors have had. And they've found that they're able to take that trauma out in the laboratory 10 generations. Wow. So just think about the nature and nurture it i've always believed that it's it is not one or the other it is both mm -hmm. who we are is part of our genetic inheritance and it's also about how we are raised for sure yeah. uh, and the conditions that we find ourselves in so culture and how we we shape that shape it and what we do with it and what we learn through our cultural experiences has a tremendous impact on our belief systems and then how we approach things. If, we have, if we're in a culture in which we are taught that life is a struggle and you know, it's easy to kind of get through the ups, it's mm -hmm. you know, what do you do on the downside? Mm -hmm. And you have role models who have had experiences where they've overcome the things that they've confronted in their lifetimes or the, the kinds of circumstances that they were confronted with, then you have, an, you have somebody you can look at to say, yeah, Uncle Joe uh, was able, had this experience and was, was able to work through it. So I've got somebody to look at uh, and to say, yes, I can do this too. Mm -hmm. uh, I was at a conference on uh, Monday in which they were talking about how uh, the incidence of a child growing up without someone in the family uh, uh, going to college was far lower. I wish I could remember the numbers, but it was something like uh, less than 20% would go on to college. But if they had a, a parent who had gone through and at least gotten their BA, mm -hmm. the uh, incidence or the rate went up to something like 80 plus percent. Oh, wow. So our, our, the people we have around us uh, help to shape our own ability to uh, work through the trials and tribulations that we're going to encounter in life. Yeah, no doubt. 
And can you run that term by me again? Epigenetic? Transgenerational inheritance. Okay. And if, if you look on YouTube, you'll find lots of really good video uh, or YouTube videos about this topic. And it's something that I kind of fell into because of a conversation I was having with my son and uh, future daughter-in-law a year ago. They told me about the term and it kind of just went in one ear and out the other. Mm -hmm. And then uh, this year, I happened to be uh, looking at it. I was interested in uh, how genetics might play a role in my future daughter-in-law happens to be a geneticist. Mm. And uh, she gave me the term again, and I started looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they've done thus far is the RSG, RGS2 gene is, the, uh, is, is now called the anxiety gene. And, I, and that is what gets turned off or on by, uh, in some people. Uh, and anxiety, by the way, is the number one disorder. Mm. I guess that's really no surprise. Yeah, but it's it, the more we can understand this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The the better we can work with it, and that's yeah. really that's really the the point that we do have control over, to a large extent, what we pass down to future generations, uh, and we also have control over how we're going to function as a human being. Right, and I was going to add too when you mentioned mentioned the multi generational trauma um, and how that can be displayed through someone who maybe could have been a slave or could have been told these stories of slavery. And would you say it's appropriate to say it could be seen the same way in regard to, um, because I was thinking it could also be similar to multi-generational prejudices that also invokes trauma um, and people themselves could it's not trauma, but it's, 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 a, it's, I again, bring it to, to the mindset. Um, but when you were thinking about it, I was, or when you were explaining it, I was thinking about it on the reverse end of not so much trauma, but these stories that are being brought from generation to generation. And then they're taking it into society, not allowing um, that whole society that you spoke of that lighthearted, that, um, where we can kind of all be our best selves without the heavy weight that's there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would agree with that. You know, I have not gone down down that particular rabbit hole. Uh, However, I've read, you know, account after account, uh, how people who are are raised in abusive environments then become, there's some propensity to become abusive Mm -hmm. uh, in their own relationships downstream. Same thing with alcoholism Mm -hmm. and other sorts of behavioral characteristics. So I I think that what you say, and if you think about the, the, the media that's out in the public domain about young uh, white males who uh, have a clown, a, 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 a clan robe on, uh, when they're two or three years old, um, there is some likelihood that they're going to carry those beliefs into adulthood. But having said that, the beauty about human beings mm-hmm. is that we have the the ability to be resilient. So if you take a, if you think about the the uh, clan uh, example, I once had a 
consulting project with a high school in which there was a group of agriculturalists. This was an Aggie high school uh, in California. And this one group of eighth graders graduated to the ninth grade and they called themselves the Hicks. And they wore a belt buckle that had Hicks on it and Hicks was spelled H-I-K-K-K-S. Mm. And they were children of the, the landowners uh, who were beginning to uh, be disruptive at school and started bringing their guns to school uh, because they were going after or wanted to go after the migrant farm workers, many of, of whom were undocumented. Uh, and the migrant farm worker children were beginning to bring their guns to school. So I was asked to come in and to work with this school. Mm -hmm. And what I found in that is that over the course of the school year, we brought all of the leaders from the Hicks and the the migrant farm worker community, as well as student body leaders together. And there were about 50 students. And we worked over the entire course of the year trying to break down some of the barriers. Mm -hmm. I began my work in September. And in December, we were at a community center and I was talking about the need to, you know, start getting past what was going on. Mm -hmm. And one of the students said, well, what if we don't want it to change? And I said, well, if you don't want it to change, tell me and I'll walk out the door now. And then another student spoke up and said, well, I really want to get to know these guys, but I don't know how to do it. Mm. So I lined them up in two lines facing each other. And I actually showed them how to introduce themselves to the person across from them. Oh, nice. And once we cycled through and everybody got to, to uh, meet each other, there was a shift in the dynamics in that space. Mm -hmm. And by the time the school year was over, those same kids who were gonna shoot each other were playing in the pool and uh, eating barbecue together and laughing and joking. So my point here is that whatever we are born with, what, however we are raised, mm -hmm. we get to choose how we're going to be in the end. Yeah. The thing we have to do is own who we are and not look to fault others regardless of what our experiences have been. If we can own it, we can move past it. If we continue to blame others, we're going to be stuck because we see the problem outside of ourselves rather than within ourselves. And that for me was a huge takeaway in my own traumatic uh, growth, uh, mm -hmm. as well as everything that I've read mm -hmm. uh, and everything that I've seen as a consultant, as a trainer, uh, as, a, as, a, as an executive leader when I've worked in some of the, the most dangerous communities uh, in our country. Now to the example with the children in the school, I know that um, children, a lot of times, despite if they've been, if, if certain themes have been implanted in them, are pretty much open books. You know, we see children playing uh, with kids that don't look like them while they're in school. And then as they go through grade school up into high school, they become more divided. Um, so my question is, with resilience being as powerful and kind of a, a guiding light 
to leaving trauma? I guess, how does maturity and age play into being able to get out of that? But do you believe that children can also make that make that claim for themselves and begin that healing process in the young age, or does it take in later adulthood to get to that? Each person's path mm -hmm. is unique to them. Mm -hmm. Okay. I had my first traumatic episode at the age of two. Mm -hmm. uh, then again, at eight, uh, a lot of it between 11 and 15. Mm -hmm. And that shaped me uh, well into uh, my adulthood, my middle and, uh, and late 20s, mm -hmm. where I decided I didn't like the person I was becoming. Mm -hmm. uh, and I decided that I wanted to be different mm -hmm. and or live in a, in a way that was different. And at that point, I dealt with my anger, but I didn't deal with my trauma. Mm. And it wasn't until my son was injured, had a, had a major injury, uh, and I ended up with sleep deprivation, which is also a torture technique, mm. that I broke down. And all of my own trauma came flowing out. Mm. And that was actually my path to healing hmm. because it was so out in front. I found myself sitting in the dark in a chair, in a prenatal position, mm -hmm. in tears. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do. And I ran into a colleague at another university who said, Pettis, you have to slay your dragons. You've got to work your way through your dark nights of the soul. Mm -hmm. And just as a colleague gave me the term post-traumatic growth, this year, mm -hmm. that, co that colleague led me to start looking at the dark nights of the soul. Mm -hmm. The dark nights of the soul is a term that was coined by St. John of the Cross in the 1500s. He was arrested and he wrote a poem while in prison. And then he wrote a manuscript titled The Ascent to Mount Carmel. Now for him, he was trying to find his path to become closer to God. Mm -hmm. What I found in my research is that if you look at the post-traumatic growth process mm -hmm. and you align it with the, uh, the dark nights of the soul, mm -hmm. they align really well. And I talk about this in my webinars. It's one of the things that I'm trying to help people understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and that if you look at the role of religion, for example, and in helping people work through their struggle, mm -hmm. you'll see that all of the major religions have some discussion about how life is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, they're in, in my own case, these were these were kind of breadcrumbs that led me back to where I am today, because each thing builds on itself. Mm -hmm. And and that's another thing about trauma. If you have a single traumatic event, that's going to be one experience. If you start having multiple traumatic events, those traumatic events begin to layer on to your other trauma. So the, it, the trauma that I had as a child and, um, and teenager mm -hmm. 
one with each of those events, because there were, there were many multiples, mm -hmm. uh, brought me to one point. And then things kept getting reinforced as I became an adult. And the same kinds of themes kept coming up, mm -hmm. which then triggered my anger again. Uh, but it also became a motivating factor for me to try to change conditions mm -hmm. because of the pain that I was suffering. I, I did not and do not want people to have to go through what I've gone through. Yeah. Now, I know that people have to go through their own struggles mm -hmm. to have a chance to really blossom into the kind of people that they can be. But if I can provide some guidance to at least say, hey, look, you know, it's kind of like pledging, right? You know that there are going to be these trials you have to go through mm -hmm. to get to another place. And if you can, if you can work your way through that, then you reap the reward that's on the other side. Okay. Now, my pledging, I pledged into Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, which is the first of the black fraternities mm -hmm. founded in 1906. Mm -hmm. I'm an SD row, by the way. Hello. Oh, well, there you go. So <laughs> then you understand. Mm -hmm. So, but part of my pledging gave me tools that I think about every day, mm -hmm. particularly when I get triggered, mm -hmm. that help me get through the process that I'm going through. And I've now had enough experience uh, personally where I've got additional tools, mm -hmm. if that all makes sense to you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's insightful. Um, I guess I'm wondering next, um, with, with all that being said, I mean, it doesn't sound like you've just been doing this research for a couple of months, I'd say. Um, like I mentioned, I'm also a student and I'm still trying to write my perspectives and that's been a couple of months so you've done such a deep dive but i suppose too you've had such a personal connection to this so it was probably to e it was probably easy to get lost in finding out um about this and relating to things you were finding as well some of the literature um where in your research journey next do you plan on going or what are what are some areas that you didn't find that you hope to dig into further um there are several uh, i'd like to look more closely at some of the suicide data mm -hmm. uh, and really flush that out so i can have a better understanding of that mm -hmm. uh, there is research that talks about how different cultures handle uh, traumatic events. Mm -hmm. um, those that are, are much more uh, independent, individualized mm -hmm. uh, types of cultures like we have here in the West mm -hmm. uh, are different than cultures that are much more collective. Uh, one of the problems that I think we have in the West is we're so individualized, right? Mm -hmm. So if a person has a problem, you know, people say, and I've had this said to me, put on your big boy pants, you know, get over it. Right. And while I'm suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whereas in more collective cultures, it's, it's the collective that also has a responsibility to the individual, just as the individual does to the collective. Mm -hmm. And so there's a different way of 
responding mm -hmm. to someone that has been injured. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I'd like to work, you know, in, around those kinds of issues. Well, thanks for taking us on this journey with you and allowing us to be a part of it. We appreciate your research. We appreciate your efforts. Well, thank you very much, Ashley. Um, you guys are um, awesome.